Hi, my name is Erica Hampton. And my name is Mike Ames. You are listening to audio recording 009 from the Bureau of Creative Works. A short film experiment, premiering an audience-funded original short film by a new independent filmmaker each month. This podcast will document in real time the cultural and conversational shift around short films and the people behind them. You don't want to jump in with any of this stuff? I'm going to let you do it. You talk about it better than I do. I still don't have my head around it. Well, this conversation between Oakley and Leah is pretty timely. Leah does mention in her conversation that recent uh, events with the election have certainly triggered uh, a lot of old, awful, difficult experiences that she's gone through and that, that really led into her short film, Not So Soft. And, you know, as difficult of a subject that Leah is tackling in her short, each of the Bureau short films has multiple layers to it. And this one certainly is, it's difficult, but it's also inspiring. Uh, Leah goes back and shows how she's always been a filmmaker, even in an early age. I would use the word empowering. If you've seen the film by now, you'll, you'll know that she used filmmaking as a way of expressing things that she couldn't otherwise expressed to people. And she does a much better job of, of talking about that with Oakley than uh, than I'm doing now. But it's a really, really wonderful conversation between the two of them. We've been very excited to share it and hope it resonates with you as much as it did with us. This is Oakley, and I'm sitting down here with my fellow Bureau filmmaker, Leah Meyerhoff. Leah, thanks for sitting down with us so that we can talk to you about your film, Not So Soft. Thanks for having me. So Not So Soft is the fourth film to be released on the Bureau. And what's interesting is that it's the very first personal film that anyone's made. It's autobiographical. I guess you could call it a personal essay. And people generally consider personal films to be some of the most difficult ones to tackle. In particular, if you're, you know, talking about a a painful experience from your past. What encouraged you to make this film personal? And what was the experience like? Well, you know, I think in a lot of ways, every film I ever make is personal, just to different degrees. Um, And so with this short, Not So Soft, is more personal than most. And I do look at it as a kind of docu-essay, as well as a letter to my father, as well as just a conversation about my relationship over the years with men and specifically around these issues of sexual assault. And the inspiration for this particular short film came from conversations in the media recently, um, you know, triggered a lot by Trump, uh, the rise of Trump, and just conversations in the way that our culture speaks about sexual assault. And, you know, I grew up in Berkeley, California, and now I live in New York, and um, I'm surrounded in this kind of liberal bubble where I feel very confident and comfortable speaking my mind and identify as a strong feminist woman and all of these things, and yet even still, issues of sexual assault um, and consent are difficult to vocalize, especially publicly, and I'm interested in that progression um, within our culture where it feels like right now is actually a really exciting time in that it feels like we're at a tipping point where women in particular are starting to speak up louder and say, you know, this is an issue that affects 
a lot of the population and people aren't talking about it and the court system is broken and the legal system is broken and the first step in all of this healing process is to become more comfortable and expand the language that we use to talk about sexual assault. And so when I started, you know, the the impetus for this project began there and then it became apparent to on the creative side use this as a personal essay and go back and look at Super 8 footage and home movie footage, Hi8 footage that I had from growing up and re-edit some of this footage along with just a real simple personal voiceover as a sort of confessional and as a vocalization of just beginning to touch on some of the experiences that I've had in my life with sexual assault as a way of adding to the public conversation about these issues and women, you know, we're seeing now it's actually, again, a really exciting time that you're seeing women all over, all over Twitter. There's now this new hashtag, not okay, where you're seeing thousands and thousands of women sharing stories of their first sexual assaults or their second or their third in a public way and no longer feeling ashamed about it or scared to speak up about it. And then you see women and men taking notice of these stories and realizing that this is an issue that affects everyone. That I can safely say every single woman I know in my life has either experienced some degree of sexual assault herself or knows someone who has. And so I think by more and more voices being added to the choir, we are realizing that that those those of us who have been victims or are survivors of sexual assault are not alone and everyone else is realizing just what a pervasive issue this is and so that's where this started and it's a real mix for me of the personal and the political and I think on the one hand personal filmmaking is challenging because it's vulnerable on the other hand it's incredibly empowering it's empowering to be able to share personal stories with an audience who connects with those stories and then opens up about their own personal experiences and both of you in doing so it's this collective sharing that happens and you both realize that you're not alone absolutely you mentioned how the film is sort of is sort of like a letter addressed to your father and you know when you're talking about the pervasive sexual assault and acceptability of women you know it's interesting in the archetype of the family you know the father figures usually the and as we sort of see in your film, like that's the figure that's supposed to be the one that can protect you from these things. I'd love to hear about why you decided to do that and what was it like to write the film sort of at to your father and how did that just inform the whole process? Yeah, so my father um, was a really wonderful human being. He passed away several years ago and he was a lawyer, was a human rights lawyer, was an activist, cared a lot about the environment and about uh, workers' rights and equal rights, and was just a wonderful person as a human being. But as far as my relationship with him from, as a daughter, he you do think of the father figure as one to protect you, and yet in my case, he was unable to when it came to sexual assault. And part of that was just this code of silence around these issues. I think if I had come home you know, from school when I was 12 years old and said, a strange man in a dark alley pulled a gun on me and raped me, I'm sure he would have gone immediately to the police and protected me. But when you're talking about the more gray areas of sexual assault, when it's when you're a child or when it's abuse by a boyfriend or a friend or someone you know, those were not issues that uh, we were comfortable speaking about within my family. And I think even now, 
are not so comfortable, you know, being able to speak about those issues for a lot of people. And so I think part of the idea of addressing this film in the template of a letter to my father was a way of saying words that I wish I could have said to him while he was alive and also words that I think a lot of women wish they could vocalize and speak up about what's happening to them without any fear of repercussion or of shame or of people not believing them or of harassment and that safe space of the family of being able to tell your parents if you've been sexually assaulted, I think is such an important thing to be able to do. And so for me, it just started there. It started with, okay, this is a meditation on my relationship with varying men throughout my life. And who is that primary relationship? Who's that first relationship? It was with my father. And while, of course, my father did not assault me, you know, luckily I don't have that story, although of course a lot of women do. His brother did, my uncle did. Um, later on, uh, one of my teachers at school did. Later on, one of my boyfriends did. And I think looking back in a kind of psychoanalysis type of way, if I had had a closer relationship with my father or my mother in being able to speak with them openly about these experiences, I wonder if these patterns would have continued or if they would have been stopped you know, sooner in life. And I think there's a lot of kind of Freudian content in that as well. Um, but really, I wasn't, I wasn't overthinking all of this while I was making the film. It was more of just a natural, organic, when I started to create a voiceover and draft a letter to, you know, to who I would, who I would be telling these stories to first, my father was just a natural fit. It's remarkable in, in your film, sort of the scope that you can reach. I mean, with the short film, we're talking a short period of time and your film is about four minutes. The viewer gets to see you through basically your whole life in this very short period of time. Could you talk to us a little bit about what the experience was like sorting through all of this footage and how did you choose it? You know, that creative process was actually a really fun one. And I had done something similar in my last feature film, I Believe in Unicorns, the very opening title sequence of that film used a lot of Super 8 footage from my childhood. So I had already been digging through these family archives, um, which I started to do after my father died. I found this box of Super 8 film in the attic and got it processed and just started going through all these old home movies. And there was just such a wealth of material there. Um, and that opening sequence from my feature film is one of my favorite sequences and people really love it. And I thought, okay, there's more to explore here with this footage. So I started with that and then started going through even more and more tapes. I come from a family who <laughs> like to document everything. And I, of course, was an aspiring filmmaker, even as a young child. So tons of movies on Super 8 and then on Hi8 and then on Mini DV and on VHS and transferring all of that and then bringing that into Final Cut and going through it was really a, a cathartic process and a beautiful process and a really fun process. And in terms of picking, you know, which segments made it into this very short film and which ones didn't, I just trusted my gut and my instincts and it really started with the visuals and I picked what were the most compelling visuals and what edited together in a really fluid, organic way. And then I would interweave that with the audio. And once I started a narration in this voiceover letter, it became when should the image underline what I'm talking about more directly and when should it conflict with it? And some of my favorite moments are the more subtle ones where the audio voiceover will be saying one thing and maybe you're looking at something else, which 
in another context might just look like a happy family movie. But when you put this darker undertone story underneath and the audio, it gives it a whole new meaning. And that became a lot of fun to play with as well. But it's been great, you know, and I haven't, and this, this short film has not really been publicly released yet. I know we've had a few private screenings and the Bureau is slowly rolling out all of these shorts in a kind of anthology way and submitting them to film festivals and so forth. But even though it's at very early stages in terms of its distribution, I feel like creating this short has already added me into this conversation that's happening nationally and even globally of women speaking up about sexual assault and in beginning by saying, this is my story, you know, this is real. And it's not just my story, but it's all women's stories. And it started, you know, with the yes, all women hashtag and then the not okay hashtag and the conversations in the political arena, as well as in the private social sphere of the more that we can tell our own personal stories without any shame, without any fear, and openly tell them to each other how much it empowers people. And so, you know, I just posted a thing on my Facebook the other day, inviting people to this private screening of these short films that the Bureau was hosting. And there were dozens and dozens of responses of women saying, thank you for sharing your story. This is my story. I've never told anyone before. And just starting to see how art can be transformative in that way. And by one person sharing her story, it can lead to this domino effect of more and more women being comfortable raising their voices. And instead of feeling so alone and so ashamed and so scared in all of this, they, they can add their voices to this choir and realize there's a quorum of women, that they're, the majority of women have stories like this to one degree or another, whether it's a molestation story or a date rape story or a stranger harassing them on a train or someone saying something to them. I mean, all different degrees of sexual assault, but it is so incredibly commonplace that to go back, the exercise of going back through your memories and through your life and thinking which, which assault stories should make it into a four-minute short film and <laughs> which ones shouldn't is a really... Um, illuminating exercise. For me, it went back to being my youngest self and trying to remember my very first experiences. But I could just as easily have made, you know, a 30 minute film of hundreds of them if you, if you really, you know, opened your mind to it. Going into that rabbit hole is probably so daunting. That's what sometimes will keep people away from tackling these personal topics. And I mean, in the film, you say something to the effect of how the experiences that had been hurtful sort of had an effect on who you are and how you communicated. And, you know, eventually you were able to learn to translate those experiences into you finally begin to find your voice. And I think that's really true. I think the process of creating personal work like this, whether it's obviously personal or whether it's more subtle, um, it is an empowering process. It's a cathartic process. And it is about also finding your voice, finding my voice not only as an artist, but as a woman, as a human being, and being able, in this particular short film, being able to speak openly about sexual assault has led me to, in my day-to-day -day life, be able to speak more openly as well. And some of the examples mentioned in the film, I never told anyone, I was too young, or I did tell someone, you know, I would tell the principal at my school, you know, a handful of us when we were in like third grade or so, there was a man expo who exposed himself to us at our school. He was a stranger and he was behind the fence on the other side of the playground. And one of the other girls told the principal and we reported it and nothing ever came of it. But you know, these varying stories 
varying degrees of being able to vocalize them or report them to the legal, you know, the appropriate authorities. And then most recently, I just had an experience in New York, a sexual assault experience that happened here in Chinatown. And I did go to the police and I went through the entire process of filing a report and doing an investigation. And it was this really overwhelming, exhausting terrifying process, which I think is a lot of reasons why women don't report sexual assault or they don't want to talk about it or come forward because often the repercussions of reporting it and speaking publicly about it are just as bad, if not worse, than the original assault. You know, when you look at the Brock Turner case or you look at um, Nate Parker in the case around Birth of a Nation or you look at Donald Trump and you hear time and time again, or the Cosby case, of women who come forward and with their stories and they're not believed, they're assumed to be lying, or they're harassed or shamed publicly, and it's this real witch hunt, and it's a really ugly part of our culture. And when you look at the statistics, and less than half of rapes are reported, and less than 10% of those are prosecuted and actually go to trial, and like 1% of that actually leads to a conviction, it's just the odds are so stacked against victims of sexual assault to ever see justice that for me, you know, you can look at that and just give up and just say, okay, well, this is just part of what it means to be a human and be a woman. And I'm just going to not tell anyone, or you can look at it and say, well, what can I do? Like what part of this process can I have control over? And the very first thing is just being able to tell your story. And for me, the act of using art as a way of telling my story was empowering on a personal level and on a political one. You know, it gave me the confidence and the strength, the most recent sexual assault, to pursue legal action. Even though, of course, it didn't lead anywhere because our system is, is not yet there, it was still a really empowering experience for me to be able to go through those steps, which I wouldn't have been able to do when I was 12 years old. I wouldn't have had the confidence or the knowledge or the support to do that. And so I think using film as a tool to find my voice has been... I think the most beneficial part of this entire creative endeavor. So what would be your advice for other filmmakers, you know, maybe women filmmakers or filmmakers that may be able to find their voice or a power in speaking through film? I mean, what is your advice to them if they're just starting out and seeing what you've been able to accomplish and how it's been cathartic? What would your advice be? My advice for filmmakers who are just starting out, I have a couple pieces of advice. The first is to believe in yourself, especially for women filmmakers, to not wait around for permission to make your film. And I think so often artists are waiting for validation. They're waiting for someone to come along and say, here's a check. I'm going to finance your project. Or here, you've been accepted into this Sundance Labs or whatever it might be. And really, as filmmakers, we need to take control of our own artistic practice and give yourself permission and say, I'm going to make this film and set a date and set a deadline and then just start making it no matter what. It's better to create work that is imperfect and flawed than to not create anything at all. So that's the first piece of advice is to just do it. And then the second piece of advice is to reach out to others. You don't have to do it alone. I think filmmaking in particular is a communal art form and it's a really wonderful community of artists. And in my own life, I'm involved in several different filmmaking communities. You know, Film Fatals is one, which is specifically geared towards supporting women feature filmmakers. The Bureau is another, which is this amazing collective of filmmakers from all walks of life getting together to make these short films and inserting yourself into an existing filmmaking community or starting your own. And even if it's just a couple of friends who are interested in what you're interested in, 
having that communal environment to bounce ideas off or show rough cuts to or crew for each other can be incredibly beneficial. So those are my, my best two pieces of advice. And then as far as finding your voice as an artist, you know, I think you, you find it by trying. And for some filmmakers, it is a very personal, unique, distinct voice. And for others, it might be less so, but you won't know your voice, what your voice is as an artist until you've made more than a couple of films. And so again, it just goes back to this idea of just keep being productive and keep making work and don't be afraid to fail. Filmmaking is vulnerable. Being an artist is vulnerable. And in many ways, the artists in our societies, that's their role is to make themselves vulnerable and to take risks and open themselves up. And in this way, in this emotional, vulnerable way, so that the audience and the public can then empathize with that experience and connect with it and grow from it and learn from it. And so I think you also need to be fearless to a degree and be be afraid of failure and be afraid of of people seeing more of you than you might be ready for. But I think that can, again, there's a real beauty in that and a real empowerment in that, especially with personal filmmaking such as this. It's interesting because in a way, being vulnerable is being fearless. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you one last thing. I know that you're actually going to become a mother soon. And do you think we'd be teaching your kid how to make films? You know, is this something that you're going to impart as a useful tool that we should all have at our disposal? So, you know, it's, I think becoming a parent is one of the great unknowns and it's one of the great adventures in this life. Um, but I'm sure my child, and I actually don't know the gender yet, but I'm sure our child will be a feminist. Um, and I'm sure our child if not, may not be a filmmaker, but will at least be in an environment, in an artistic environment whose creativity is encouraged. Because I think no matter what people grow up to be and do in this life, having that creative side of them to be fully fleshed out and, and encouraged is a healthy, wonderful, beautiful thing. So I would be so lucky if, if our kid grew up to be a filmmaker. We will see. So with the Bureau, it's been very exciting to watch all these short films come out and it's been exciting to make them. As an artist, do you feel that, you know, making this short and making shorts in general is, is a valuable exercise? What does that add to all, our culture and how do you feel about it? Absolutely. I love short films as a medium and I've made dozens of them throughout my career. And I think, you know, although I identify primarily as a feature filmmaker, the short film in and of itself can be really wonderful as a way to communicate a simple idea in a short amount of time, and especially in this like hyper fast culture where people have a short attention span, I love watching collections of short films. And some projects are better suited to that short length. And with this case, with Not So Soft, this was definitely one of them. You know, I for one wouldn't want to watch someone's personal essay about sexual assault for two hours, <laughs> but four minutes in an artistic lyrical story, you know, I'm up for that. And I think being part of the Bureau has been such a wonderful gift because going back to this idea of filmmaking being communal. You know, this is a community of filmmakers who got together and said, let's all make these short films and let's promote each other and let's release them together. And being part of this anthology and this collective of short filmmakers has motivated each of us to do our best work and to, to keep making work. And I think having that accountability and having that community of other filmmakers, so you're not just doing it alone. It's not a solitary 
art form anymore. It's, it's still kind of DIY in a way, but it's really DIT. It's doing it together. I was trying to make up a clever acronym. Um, but I think I'm really grateful to the Bureau for that opportunity. And I think it's a really exciting experiment in in how to distribute films and how to finance films. And I'd love to see this project continue and have there be a second iteration of the Bureau and then a third and it get bigger and bigger of filmmakers really taking matters into their own hands and taking the means of creative production into their own hands and generating their own work and really motivating each other. And, and I'm excited to see how the whole project comes together and where it goes from here. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Oakley and and Leah, and we hope you found it as empowering and inspirational as we did. You know, like Leah mentions during the conversation, she has gotten a lot of people writing her since sharing this film, sharing their own personal experiences, and that's been a really helpful conversation, I think, on many different levels. So hopefully after listening to this, Maybe you have something to add to that conversation because it does seem to help just to put those things out there for people to read who maybe have never gone through something like that and haven't considered what it's like, it's the after effects. It's crucial not only for, for people who've never uh, been through something like that or experienced it to understand it's crucial for us to continue that conversation, but it's also crucial for those of us that... <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. I, I don't think half the people realize how systemic these kinds of experiences are. And uh, the other half that does, doesn't often have a healthy outlet to voice what they've been through. Leah's film has been pretty powerful. And it's, it's sparked something difficult but important. So hopefully you'll help continue that. And beyond that, we have another short film that we had just uh, released by Eyes Borch and Martin Wisniewski. Uh, it's called King's Run. They shot it on an iPhone 6, which is pretty exciting. Eyes has been a filmmaker that's always worked with whatever tools he's had available. Eyes and Martin are just magnificent storytellers. They're so entertaining, but there's always such a poignancy and an, and an insightfulness to their to their stuff. And to their writing. To their writing. Yeah. It's always very impressive and the visuals that they're able to create with just basic, basic tools are always so impressive. So we're excited to share that with you. Yeah, I can't wait to see. The last time, we're actually a little curious how Eyes and Martin intend to share this film beyond it being distributed on the Bureau. The last time they made a low-budget short film like this, they actually released a lot of the raw materials encouraged people to use those materials to color or to, to re-edit the film and use it as a learning tool, which is right up our alley of what we're doing. And so hopefully they get to that point in the future. A lot of their work is very remixable and shareable. They've always sort of had that focus on teaching others what uh, what they do, how they do what they do with, with cell phones or with uh, cheap uh, consumer cameras and making them look impressive. So that film just came out about an hour ago as of recording this, so hopefully uh, you guys check that out and enjoy it very much. Uh, beyond that, one last bit of house cleaning. We just launched the beer on Patreon, which is very exciting for us because one thing we've learned over the last couple of months is that our audience feels pretty 
scattered. Uh, VHX has been a really powerful backend tool for us in terms of getting these films out there. But I feel like a lot of our audience doesn't quite know if they should engage with us on Facebook or on Twitter or through email. And so we've been looking at what the next step is in terms of branching out for places to be able to become agents of the Bureau. And Patreon seemed to make the most sense because it's very public, it's very community focused. We literally just launched that. As of recording this, we have one patron. So you know who you are out there. Thank you. Uh, we're pretty excited to push people to that over the next couple of months. We've learned that we also tackle these films about six months out from when they are premiered. So we're coming up fast on, uh, I'm not sure what the best term is, but... It's, well, the uh, end of our original funding. Yeah. Uh, it won't be too long, December, January, to where we've pushed all the filmmakers who are involved with the year one of the Bureau uh, in the direction that they're going to be going. And year two, year three is, is, is our focus. And that's really what this step is, is, is doing. It's enabling us to not shut the Bureau down at the, at the end of the, the first year of our short film. So, and we can't do that without our audience. So hopefully you're out there. So hopefully, hopefully you're, you're out there. excited about what we've been doing. Thank you again for listening, and we hope that you will contribute to this conversation because it's very important. We're proud to be a part of it. And don't forget to be good to each other. I know that's very hard for some of us right now, but it's always the most important lesson.